Hey, really quick before we get into this episode, if you're hearing this intro, it means that my new podcast with my friend Veronica called Socially Unfiltered has officially launched and we would love for you to join us over there. I wanted to make sure I put this intro before all of the previous episodes of the Social Media Survival Guide podcast because just so much has changed since these episodes were published, but the content in these episodes still holds a very special place in my heart. So you may hear some links or some Instagram handles that I'm no longer using being mentioned in these episodes. So I just wanted to give you one place where you knew you could find everything. If you want to keep up with me, Lex, on Instagram, my Instagram handle is at justlexpage, J-U-S-T-L-E-X-P-A-I-G-E. And that's where you can find all of my social media content. It's where you can find all of the different ways we can work together and all of the resources I have to help you survive social media. And like I said, some links may be outdated. So if you're interested in any of my guides, any of my templates, or any of my resources for helping you survive social media, you can find everything at stan.store slash page, and I'll link everything in this description. But come join us over on the new podcast. Again, it's called Socially Unfiltered. You can find us on Instagram at sociallyunfilteredpod. You can find the podcast where wherever you listen to podcasts. And again, I'll link everything in this episode description. Whether this is your first time listening to the Social Media Survival Guide or your millionth re-listen, thank you for being here. But I'm so excited to start this new journey with you. So please come hang out with us over on Socially Unfiltered. We would love to have you. But for now, I'll let you get into the episode that you were trying to listen to. And hopefully I'll see you over there. Enjoy. Welcome to the Social Media Survival Guide, a paid media co-podcast all about surviving social media. We'll go on deep dives into what goes on behind the scenes in this industry, interviews with some of the most badass business owners sharing their own experiences, and we'll learn all about the tools and resources you need to survive social media. I'm your host, Lex, and I'm just surviving social media one day at a time. Let's get into it. Okay, so before I actually start this episode, I did just want to put something at the beginning because when this episode was recorded, and actually when the first couple of episodes were recorded, so you'll hear this disclaimer for each of them, I was still very much figuring out the logistics of this podcast and of this part of my business. So you'll hear me say a couple times that all the updates for the Social Media Survival Guide can be found at Page Media Co., which is still true at Page Media Co., still myself and my personal slash business account. However, I did decide to go ahead and make a separate Instagram account for the Social Media Survival Guide podcast and project as a whole, just to make sure that everything kind of lands in one place. So you can find that on Instagram at the Social Media Survival Guide, and it's on TikTok as well as just Social Media Survival Guide. Like I said, everything was very pre-production when these first couple of episodes were being recorded, so I wanted to make sure the most accurate, up-to-date information was included. And yeah, I think that's it. Okay, enjoy. Hey, hey, welcome to another episode of the Social Media Survival Guide. And I do, before we get into this episode, just want to say that I am still very much in pre-production with this podcast. Um, At the time of recording this, I still don't even have like my intro down yet. So everything that's kind of in here, as far as like promotional, like where to find certain things might be a little bit different just because I do have a private exclusive content area coming for the social media survival guide. I have yet to decide on the actual platform that it's going to be hosted through. But for now, anything that I talk about on here or any resources linked, you will always be able to find everything shared on my Instagram, which is at Page Media Co., which I totally understand can be a little bit confusing. I'm considering the name of this podcast is the Social Media Survival Guide. So I honestly can't remember in the first episode if I addressed this directly or not. So I will say it now. Page Media Co. is me, myself, my business slash personal account. I don't have a personal account. I haven't logged into what I consider to be my personal Instagram in about a year. My devices have been filled with 
the maximum amount that you're allowed to have in them every once in a while i'll pull it up like on my desktop just to check in on like friends who you know have kids and family and stuff but other than that i really don't use my personal instagram so anyway the only instagram that i consider to be a personal all of that to say and i know it's confusing is at page media co so page media co is my business and everything that i do is a project of page media co so for example this podcast the social media survival guide is a project of page media co so if you don't already and you want to connect my handle is at page media co on instagram and tiktok and yeah let's get into it okay so today's episode i like i had said in the first episode these podcast episodes are not going to be as scripted as some of my other content has been in the past. And I mean that specifically for YouTube. I loved YouTube and I still continue to love YouTube, but I feel like I'm able to get more information and edit things. Like it's way easier and faster to edit a podcast. And I actually just got done posting on my Instagram story that I'm asking for questions because I do want to, at the end of each episode, include questions from the time of filming this, especially anything that has to do with the topics that we're specifically talking about. And also I do plan to have more often than not a guest. So I promise I'm not just going to ask you to listen to me talk to myself for an hour, but I do plan to have more guests and that's kind of when these conversations will be a little bit more unfiltered. So anyway, all of this to say today's episode is a melting pot of some of the most requested slash most frequently asked questions slash things that I just really want to address right off the top. Like I had kind of said with YouTube, it was a little bit tougher and you kind of have to stay more on script. Whereas with a podcast, I feel like I can just talk. I don't have to worry about, you know, editing scenes and stuff like that. So once I do start having those guests on here, that will be really fun to kind of have that framework with it not being, you know, here's three tips for this. And then we only talk about those three tips. Like I want to just like throw a general topic out there and just kind of go on this brain dump and hope and pray that you follow along with it because my brain is a ping pong ball sometimes. So the big things that I want to talk about today are going to be, is viral always valuable? Going viral is, for lack of better terms, viral trend right now. Everybody, for the most part, I don't mean to say everybody is in every single person in the world, but a significant amount of people have the goal of going viral when it comes to either creating content or just just presenting yourself on social media in general. And I have a couple of what I consider to be unpopular opinions about going viral slash just things that I want to talk about, whether you have or have not experienced a piece of your content getting like a ton of traction overnight or all at once, or just, you know, for, again, for lack of better terms, blowing up. So again, just a couple things about, you know, is being viral always valuable because I don't believe that it is. So we'll dive a little bit deeper into that. I also want to talk about, do you need a niche? And I want to just kind of preface that when I talk about, do you need a niche specifically in this episode, I am primarily referring to social media managers. I'm not really referring to businesses as a whole because I do believe that it's important for businesses, whether you're product-based or service-based, to have some core values and a core mission and to have things that you stand for and things that you don't stand for. And it's also important to have, you know, your target audience and your ideal persona of people that you would either like to work with or sell your product or service to. But I think that there's a lot of misconception about what it means to actually choose a niche. And that's just something that I want to dive a little bit farther into because again, 
I'm full of unpopular opinions. And then one of the bigger things that I do also want to make sure to touch on in this episode is I want to share some of the reasons of, like I said, I don't really remember if I had addressed this in the first episode. I know the first episode was like how I got here and how this started, but I don't think I really dove too far into like the actual very first stages of my business. So I want to talk about some things regarding that, like getting started and just why I'm thankful to have done things the way that I did because I did kind of do them in a way that's not super common nowadays. If you have been following me from the beginning, you might be familiar with my story of how my social media management business actually came to be. And I've definitely shared it before, but again, I just want to kind of touch on why there's certain parts of how I started that I'm really, really thankful for. Okay, so with all of that out of the way, again, the first thing that I want to start with is is viral valuable? And my short answer to a very long-winded answer is that no, going viral is always valuable. So just for fun, I wanted to look up what the actual definition of going viral is. And obviously, you know, there's a medical term for that, but I wanted to really look if there was a textbook definition of what it means to go viral. And there is not necessarily when it comes to social media specifically, but one article that I'm finding says on Facebook in particular, going viral means that a post has generated a great deal of attention in the form of a high number of likes, shares, and comments. So that to me is a pretty well-rounded way to summarize what it means to go viral because really all it is is just a ton of eyes being on your content at one time and there are tons and tons and tons of things that go into whether a video goes viral and this all to say that yes you will hear people say that there's a framework for how you're you know wording your videos you have to start with a hook you only have one to three seconds like all of these viral tips actually something just to kind of keep this relevant to the times um it's currently wednesday january 26th right now there is a viral trend on tiktok that a lot of people are referring to the seven second rule now what this is is a lot of people are claiming to have hacked the algorithm and we've broke TikTok. We figured it out and like all this stuff. And it's like, let's look at it from a logistics point of view. So the seven second viral trend slash hack is supposedly if you use a seven second video with a ton of text on the screen, your views are going to skyrocket. Now let's break that down. It has nothing to do with the fact that the video is seven seconds long. That video could be five seconds. It could be six seconds. It could be eight seconds. It could be 10 seconds. As long as it's short, that's really all that this means. Now the ton of text on the screen is the whole point of it is that it needs to take somebody longer to read that block of text than it takes for your video to replay in the background. And the whole purpose of doing this is to encourage people to read for longer than it takes the video to play so that that video continuously loops that even if just one person sees that video, it's going to count as like five or six views because the video just looped in the background. Now, again, let's look at this logistically. This is not like hacking the algorithm. This is, it has to take somebody longer to read the the text on the screen than it takes for the video to finish playing. And I appreciate the effort. I love seeing all these people like so enthusiastically being like, here's a hack that's going to get you thousands of views. And the thing is, it's not always going to work. None of these viral tips are always going to work. Or like, I'll see people be like, you have to jump on trend in the first week and then they'll do it. And they're like, it didn't work for me. 
all of these viral tips are not going to work 1000% of the time. And a lot of the time what it comes down to when you consider your video to not be viral is just the delivery of it was off. Like there could have been a better way to word things. You could have gotten their attention a little bit quicker. And that will all just come with time and learning what works and what does not. I also hate when people try to shove themselves into this box of like, oh, every video has to be framework to like all of these viral tips like the gurus say because then you're not creating content that you genuinely enjoy and that's what i hate about all of these you know viral tips but anyway let's break down a little bit further about why i don't believe going viral is always valuable so there is a ton of repercussions that come with going viral so the very first one that i want to talk about is when you go viral this is literally an open door for keyboard warriors and internet trolls to come out and just absolutely shit on you and i hate to say it like that because going viral could also put you in front of a really huge community who also support you and share your same values and views and want to be a part of your community. But I'm telling you, some of the meanest things that have been said to me as a content creator specifically and also as a social media manager specifically have been said to me on videos on TikTok that have gotten the most traction. And that sucks. I hate it, but it is what it is. So one of the best things I can say about going viral is make sure that you have really thick skin, but also what comes with going viral is are you even prepared to go viral? Let's say you have a video hit a million views overnight and let's say even a third of them. So let's say 300,000 people go to your website overnight. Is your website compatible enough to handle that traffic? Do you have enough inventory in stock to handle those 300,000 people? Now, again, I'm like literally pulling these numbers out of nowhere, but just as an example, a lot of people are not prepared to go viral. And again, there's so many things that come with that. Are you prepared to continue making the type of content that you went viral for? Is the video of yours that's going viral accurate to the type of content creator that you are? And if the answer is yes, then that's great. That's perfect. But if the answer is no, so what I mean by this is a lot of people try to go viral with their like aesthetic everyday vlog type videos. And I enjoy watching them too. Like I, I'm not hating on those. I have created some they're not my favorite type of content to create. But anyway, if you as a business owner go viral with this aesthetic day in the life video, how it, that's not really benefiting your business business. So like, especially as a social media manager, this is my viewpoint on this. With these aesthetic day in the life vlogs where you're showing, oh, I woke up, I had a relaxing workout. I took an hour to do my skincare and then I took a shower and got ready. And then I went and got coffee and then I came back and I did yoga and you're showing your outfit and your makeup and your accessories and all of these like expensive things that you have, that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. And if that's the type of content that you can go viral for, then so be it. But it's not, especially like as a social media manager, to me, what you're portraying with those videos is that your life is really easy and that your job is really easy. And it's, to me, hard for a potential client to justify paying you thousands of dollars to run their social media when you're posting a day in the life vlog that shows you doing no work. And when it does show you doing work, it's easy. And that's why you don't need to want all of your content to go viral because it's not always going to be super beneficial to your business. Another example of this is on your business page. If you post a video of your dog that goes viral and your product or your business has nothing to do with dogs and you gain all of these followers overnight, they're all now expecting dog content and you don't have that because you're a small business, 
that's going to significantly mess up, you know, your engagement rate. You now have all of these people who are here who are probably not interested in your business content. And that sucks. So that's why I always say you don't have to limit yourself to only making a certain type of content and make those types of videos if you enjoy them. But especially if you're doing it from a business perspective, just make sure that it can be beneficial to you in your business somehow one way or another. Now, another thing that comes with going viral is that fast growth is not always efficient. I know it's like some people's dream to wake up with like 10,000 new followers. And to me, that's a nightmare. And I know I've talked with Adriana of Our Mindful Marketing. If you follow me on Instagram, you've probably seen me like tag her in my stories. We have talked about is it's kind of like a nightmare to wake up to hundreds, sometimes even thousands of new followers because something that I personally really pride myself on is that I am available in my DMs and I do respond to people's questions. And I would say a good 90% of the people who follow me on Instagram If I didn't follow them first, I have reached out to them, thanked them, said, thank you so much for coming along on this journey with me. I checked out your page, love your vibes. And I only say that if I genuinely mean it. But all of that to say, I have had a personal, like private DM conversation with, I would say 90% of the people who follow me on Instagram, even if it was one time. And it's because I, I want people who are following me to be more than just following me. Like I want you to feel like we are friends in real life. I want you to feel like we know each other. I want you to feel like you are comfortable enough to come to me to ask questions. It's just not the best for building a community. The other part of that as a business about why fast growth is not efficient is let's go back to the situation or scenario that you had 300,000 new visitors to your website overnight, right? let's say 100,000 of them place order. And I'm, again, pulling these numbers literally out of nowhere because this could be relevant for 100 new orders. And you'll see people who have had the situation where they go viral and they now have hundreds or thousands of orders that they need to fulfill to the point that they have to have their friends, their family come in to help. And this is another reason why that fast growth is so inefficient. And I do plan to have somebody on this podcast to talk about their firsthand experience of hundreds of thousands of orders overnight and why it was not a good experience. Because then you're scrambling to get things together. You have to figure out if you want to hire somebody, you have to figure out how to get more product in stock. If it sold you out, you have to do all of these things before your customers get pissed that it's taking two or three weeks for their their product to ship out. Whereas if you grow at a slower, more sustainable, more realistic pace, you have time to get to that point, evaluate what you need to outsource for, evaluate if you need to start adding more product to your inventory, everything like that. It's just not efficient, especially on the back end to grow super fast. Now, something else that I want to talk about with going by is something that I had heard recently that really kind of started to spark these ideas and something that I'm thankful for that I didn't realize I was thankful for. And this is going to tie into the other topic of things that I'm thankful for in how I started this business and things that I did before I put myself on social media. And I can't remember who it is. If you are familiar with this interview, please DM it to me because I believe I saw it on TikTok and just kind of like scrolled by. And it was one of those things like an hour later, I started thinking about it and couldn't stop thinking about it. So anyway, if you know what I'm talking about and I say this and I'm probably going to botch it a little bit, there was an interview with a content creator who has a significant amount of, you know, followers on YouTube, TikTok, Instagram, all of those. And he claims that one of the best things that ever happened to him was that none of his content in the beginning 
got big or went viral. And I feel this like to my core because I still, even to this day, I do not consider myself to be a largely followed creator. I, I don't have a million followers. Like I say, I say none of what I say as if I'm the most popular person in the world. Like truly, I, I want that to be known because <laughs> that's not me and not how I'm saying this. But what I am saying is I never, like I grew sustainably. Like at, again, at the time of filming this, under 3,000 followers on Instagram, which I am a firm believer that your follower number doesn't mean anything. But like I said, because I grew slower, I was able to really learn what type of content I wanted to create. And I really learned like what I enjoyed and what I didn't. And that's something that he had said, you know, in this interview, this other creator that it's already such a challenge to grow on social media and to just exist on social media like forget the whole growing part even just to be a content creator it's already so challenging to do that to have more spectators it's almost like more pressure and there's more people that have an input and there's more people that have an opinion and there's just so many extra eyes on your content that in the beginning especially it should not be your goal to go viral it should be your goal to learn who you are as a creator learn how you want to create content for your business and focus again on making those connections find your style scaling appropriately and don't feel like you're not doing well just because you haven't hit a million views on anything because i guarantee you have content that has been valuable in one way or another that again may not have reached this super huge audience and that's okay that doesn't mean that it's not valuable so one thing that i really am hoping you can take away from this section of this episode is that virality does not equal your success you do not have to be viral and have a million followers in order to be successful something that's super common in this field of social media or this realm of being a creator on social media is that the more followers you have the more successful you are however something that's super common is those who have more followers actually tend to have a lower engagement rate and engagement rate is something that we can get into on a different episode it's so I have a lot of unpopular opinions about that as well. I, for those who don't know, recently took on a position where I'm working primarily with creator outsourcing for a brand. So pretty much I research the influencers, I research the creators who are applying to work with them, and I pretty much decide for them if it's a good fit. And there are certain things that I look at, engagement rate being one of them. I honestly don't ever look at somebody's following number. Like the following number really does not matter to me. So all of this, the reason I'm saying it is because you don't have to have a million followers to sell your product. You don't have to have a million followers to you know, sell your service or to have like a booked out workshop or whatever, you need to have a group of people who really fucking trust you. And that's all that matters. And to me, it's easier to do that when you are, again, scaling accordingly and scaling sustainably and getting to make those personal connections with people and getting to really know them one-on-one. -on -one. Not to say that I do this like with always with the intention of selling them something. It's just... I truly want to put it out there. I'm here to help. And 
when the time does come that you're ready to invest in something, I hope you consider me because truly I want to see you succeed. And that's why I enjoy making these personal connections rather than aiming for going viral. And also like the word viral is just so cringy to me because I've worked with so many people who were so focused, like their only goal was to go viral. And it made me annoyed to work with them because it made me feel like the content that we were making, especially like I had one situation where we would get between like five to 10,000 views and they already had a significant following amount. Once we started putting out this content that was getting five to 10,000 views because she had videos in the past get one, two million views to her, those five to 10,000 views were deemed as unacceptable and unsuccessful. And it made me feel like shit. It made me feel like the content we were creating wasn't good enough, even though I knew that it was. And the thing is, is the numbers, like the ratio with the content that we were creating with the less views actually had more people engaging on it than the videos that got one to two million views. This person was also like so dead set on having a certain number of followers would deem them successful. And let's just say they got to that number and they still get the same amount of views. So jokes on you. So that's really kind of my views and where I stand on going viral. And I just, I really hope that you can take away that going viral does not always need to be your goal and it doesn't define your success. And you know, I would rather have 1000 people who trust me and enough to come to me for advice and help and for products and services than to have 10,000 people who just scroll past my content and don't do anything with it. One more thing about going viral, and this is again an unpopular opinion, is I truly believe that a lot of the time people going viral, it's because of jealousy. Like I truly believe that somebody will see something and be like, wow, I want that and I could do that. And that's why they save your video. That's why they send your video to themselves. Again, it's it's not always in a like devious jealousy way. It's more so in a way of like they see something and they're like, I could do that. And this is why I think a lot of small business owners who show their process of creating things, number one, it's enticing and it's cool to like see the behind the scenes. But when you see a lot of that content go viral and not converting to a lot of sales, what I think it boils down to is so many other business owners see your process and see your product and they're like, whoa, like I could do that. Like there's no reason that I can't do that. And that's why I feel like a lot of the time people will see viral numbers, but it's not converting to anything. All of that to wrap up that going viral is not always valuable. And if you do share like your best tip and it it goes viral, then awesome, you hit the jackpot. And if going viral is your goal, fine. It's just setting you up for a lot of what you're probably going to consider unsuccessful social media posts. And I hate that and I don't want that for anybody. So please don't feel like you have to go viral to be successful and let's move on. Okay, let's talk about niches, niches. I don't even know what like the actual proper way to say that word is. And truly, I hate that word. And I hate hearing what a lot of people have to say about niches because to me, there's just a lot of misconceptions. So let's get into this. So again, I'm gonna start with the textbook definition. So when it comes to what a niche is, according to the dictionary as an adjective, which is what we would be talking about here, a niche is decided that your product, service, or interest only appeals to a small, specialized section of the population. Now, when you hear that, obviously you're like, well, yeah, like your product and service has to appeal to like a very specific 
person in order to be successful. And I don't disagree with that. However, like I said, I am referring specifically to social media managers when I say anything about having a niche, because like I said, I believe as a business owner, you do have to have a product that fills the gap for a very specific group of people in order to be relevant. I don't want to say in order to be successful. I want to say in order to be relevant, because if it's not solving a problem that a specific group of people struggle with, then that's what I mean. So when it comes to choosing a niche as a social media manager, there's a couple of things, again, that I feel like are really big misconceptions. So the first one is a lot of people, I think, are confused about what it means to choose a niche. But when it comes to choosing a niche, where do I even start with this? So many people are like, I do this for this person. And when you insert this person description, it's so unbelievably specific that it it's really, really limiting. So to me and how I like to explain niches is that you are your niche, especially as a social media manager. When you are a social media manager, you, especially if it's just you running your business right now, like you don't have like an assistant or anybody who would be doing any communication with your clients, you are your niche. You should be attracting people who want to work with you based on you know, your work style and who you are, how you speak, what you stand for, you yourself and what you define as your brand values and your brand vision, that is what is attracting people. For example, I'm I'm not scared to swear, like in my content. Now, my niche is also going to be working with people who share that. Like I want to work with people who are okay with dropping F-bombs every once in a while. I don't want to work with somebody that I feel like I have to like walk around walk on eggshells around to be myself. And that's what I mean by you are your niche is you and this potential client should click so instantly that you're just meant to cross paths. That shouldn't come from you deciding who and what type of industry you want to work with. So I know this sounds kind of bad at surface level, but let's dive into it so I can justify this a little bit. So let's say, for example, you decide that your niche is wedding planners. I want to help wedding planners with their social media. Now, let's say you put that in your bio, okay? Somebody is going to see that and think, well, I'm not a wedding planner, so I wouldn't work with this person or this person can't provide a service or a product to me. Whereas if you worded it a little bit different, you could be applicable to a lot more people. And I use the wedding planner example a lot because let's say a wedding planner and an event planner, okay? They do a lot of very, very similar things. The way that they are going to promote themselves, the way that they are going to share their service and share what they do for their clients is going to be very similar. They also are going to have a lot of similar, you know, you could make a post like three things to keep in mind during your event. And that is now applicable to more than just the wedding industry. Now, if you are so dead set that you are only going to work with wedding planners and within the wedding industry, that's one thing. But all I'm saying is, again, with a slight change of your wording, you could be applicable to a lot more people and provide that service to a lot more relevant people. Now, I'm not saying that you need to do this because you need to be applicable to work with everybody because you do need to be defined enough. For example, some bro-y like, tech guy probably wouldn't come to me 
or at least I am not creating content and I'm not marketing myself as attracting that type of client. So what I mean by that is your ideal client should be inclined to want to work with you just based off of who you are. So back to the wedding example. Now, like I said, wedding planners and event planners share a lot of very similar things and they could be kind of grouped together. So to me, it would be more beneficial to you and appealing to a wider audience if you were to word it as, I help people who are in charge of big events or like I help those who are in charge of the big day. Because that then is turning from just weddings to like anybody who plans big events like weddings. Like you could also be applicable to travel planners and to people who are planning smaller scale events. Now, again, if you're dead set that you want to work only with the wedding industry, totally fine. Do that. But you are putting yourself like in this very, very narrow box, which is totally fine because the people who are meant to work with you know that they're meant to work with you. All I'm saying is it's better to define your niche in the sense of who you want to work with as a person rather than the type of industry. Another example that I like to give of this is the time that I worked with a trash removal company. And at the time I said no, I was like, no, why would I ever work with a trash removal company? Like that's so not in my scope of anything I'm interested in. This was like really early on of me kind of having this viewpoint of niches don't have to be a certain industry. And again, why I use this example. So the day that I was supposed to have this discovery call with the trash removal company, I had this weird feeling in the days leading up to it. I was like, I have to get on this call. Like the week before I was like, no, like not interested, probably not going to respond to this person. And then we ended up scheduling a discovery call. And in the days leading up to it, I was like, I, this call means something. I had this really weird feeling about it. I was like, I have to get on this call. This call is going to teach me something. I just know it. Anyway, I end up getting on the call and from that day forward, I have had such a different perspective of niches and businesses and brands in that realm, especially as a social media manager. Now, would I, again, the reason I use this example, would I ever consider my niche to be I work with people in the trash removal industry? Absolutely not. But when I got on that call, the owner of this business completely changed my viewpoint on what it means to work with somebody based on a niche. When I got on that call with them and she started breaking down to me what their service actually stood for rather than just, yeah, we take people's trash like to the dump, like we do the heavy lifting, we take something off of somebody's to-do list. The specific example that changed my mind was they offered a service for home clean out for those who had passed away. They had somebody reach out to them and say, I don't want to speak if it was their parent or their relative. I, I truly don't remember who it was, but they had somebody in their family pass away. Now, this family member that passed away was also a hoarder, like a certified <laughs> S-tier hoarder, like had floor to ceiling piles of just shit in their house. When this person passed away, their I'm just going to say their child, I guess I could just say their family member, but this family member was now in charge of planning a funeral, getting all of their assets lined, like, you know, where they needed to go, dealing with the will, dealing with the property and where it needed to go. And then also on top of all of that, having to deal with now cleaning out the house of a hoarder. Now, 
I have watched hoarders on TLC and I I do I did have a grandmother who was a hoarder and it was overwhelming to be in that environment and especially when you have all of that other shit that you're dealing with like making funeral arrangements and stuff the last thing you want to deal with is having to clean out this house right so the family member that was now in charge of cleaning out this house had contacted this business that I was the trash removal business that I was talking to and had explained to them like I need this service done and the business was like yep we got you they go and do this like trash removal for this hoarder's house afterwards the woman comes to them the family member and is like you have no idea what you did for me i was on the verge of a mental breakdown this service has been life-changing like i was dreading this from the day that we found out that this family member was sick that we now have to clean out their house and that that's one day going to be you know my problem and the trash removal business's mission was to help those who needed it the most and to genuinely want to make the world a better and more efficient and safer place for those who had to ask for like a really big favor for something like that. So that call that day with the trash removal company was really when I kind of decided like, okay, niches are not what a lot of people think they are. To me, my niche is working with those who truly believe that their product service or just their brand in general is going to change the world. And whether that means changing the world as a whole or changing the life of somebody who uses their product or service, those are the people that I want to work with and that's my niche. I also watch a lot of like trash reality shows, I drink wine, I swear, and those are also people who are in my niche is anybody who I could genuinely feel like, you know, what they do is good for the world but also like they're a really good person and I really pick up on people's energies so especially during a discovery call I can pretty much decide like if we're gonna work together or not and I don't mean like are we actually gonna work together I mean like if we worked together would it work and if I have even like the slightest thought that working with somebody is not gonna work then I don't do and that's why I feel like so many people have this wrong idea of what a niche is. Like, you don't have to say, I work with people in the wedding industry. You have to say, I work with people who are in charge of really important events. Like, it doesn't always have to be classified down to a singular industry. And that's what I hate seeing. The other thing is I feel like a lot of people would benefit from knowing who their ideal client is rather than thinking they have to come into it like with a niche. And again, there can be a lot of ways that the term niche is applied to the world of social media. Like, do I believe if you start a brand new TikTok account and you only post a certain type of content that that's your niche? Like, if you only post social media tips, then that's your niche. And yes, you do have, in my opinion, a better chance of growing quickly if you are only making one type of content. However, you have then now grown an audience based on that one type of content, which is fine. But for a lot of people, and especially as a social media manager, you don't need to limit yourself to just that one type of content. You should be able to create in a way that showcases who you are as a person, your personality, the type of people that you want to work with. And then again, that's why I think it's more important to identify your ideal client. Like I said, I like to watch trash reality shows and drink wine. That's probably something that my ideal client would also enjoy doing. A really simple way of me saying this is that if it seems like I would be friends with you outside of working with you, then you're probably my ideal client. But you are your niche and you, again, there's so many different ways to word this, but circling back to just social media management, 
I don't believe that you need a niche when you first start. You don't need to have something like concrete, set in stone. I only work with these people because then what happens one when you fill up with clients of that certain industry and then you end up hating that industry and it's okay to pivot. But if you just didn't lock yourself in that box from the beginning, you wouldn't, you know, have that problem down the line. Also think there's just like so much pressure from, you know, quote unquote experts in this industry to lock down a niche, figure out like, you know, what your niche is. It's not that you have to figure out what your niche is. It's that you need to figure out who you would love working with and what type of service you want to offer them and decide what type of person you want to work with. So again, that ideal client, a little bit more important. But I think with that piece of advice alone that you need to pick a niche, you need to niche down, it's prohibiting and limiting so many people from even starting because before you actually do the job of social media management, like if you truly are starting from scratch, you've never done this before, how in the hell do you know who you like to work with? You don't. So start meeting new people. And again, I am a firm believer that one of the only ways to learn something is to learn it from somebody who has actually done it. So if you just ask somebody if you can have a conversation with them and be like, hey, what's your niche? Like, who do you primarily serve? And not that I think you need to like pull somebody, you know, exactly like their wording or how they say it, but like you take mine. I work with people who want to change the world. Like that's, that's my niche. I want to work with people who are so freaking passionate about what they do that they truly believe that by their brand and their product and their service existing, that it makes the world a better place or at least makes somebody's life a little easier. But I think too many people think too, too far into it, especially in the beginning truly work with as many people as you can in the beginning and that will help you figure out what your niche is i am not saying to say yes to every project but even if you're approached by somebody who isn't in the niche that you have classified yourself in coaches are a niche but you don't need to say like fitness coaches or you know business coaches like a lot of coaches in general are going to need the same support. Same thing with that, you know, wedding slash event planner comparison. A lot of people need the same service and it will be super relevant as you're switching industries. I work with a ton of different industries. I work with people, you know, beauty services to realtors to the fitness industry and each one of them has such a unique branding and such a unique voice that it's there is no way to put every single one of them into the same category like all of my clients if they were in a bucket the only bucket that they could all be related in is that every single one of them is passionate about their service and product to the point that they know they make the world a better place by being in it and that's exactly what your niche should be again don't think too far in it just exist and figure out who you want to work with figure out the service you want to offer them and then start to create content based around that. I just feel like the phrase and the advice to niche down is so, again, misconstrued. I don't think that you need to niche down in the beginning. I think it's important to have an idea, but I also think it's important to leave the room for growth and leave that wiggle room that you're not locked inside of a box for the rest of your business career. I also just want to say, please take everything that I say with a grain of salt because I'm not saying I'm the only person who's right. Like, I wouldn't disagree with the statement that you need to have a niche in order to grow quickly. That statement I would not disagree with. However, your unique presence and your unique services and the people that you are energetically aligned to work with already places you in a niche. Again, you yourself are a niche. And I want to kind of explain some of this using like more relevant people and how they've grown followings and they have, you know, 
built these huge communities not based on a niche, but just based on who they are as a person. So I always use the example of Jenna Marbles. So I, I love Jenna Marbles. She's one of those people that, I mean, RIP to her content creation days, but Jenna, if you hear this, we all want you back. But thinking back to when she was like actively making YouTube videos and, you know, actively creating TikToks and stuff, her videos weren't the same. Like, a lot of her videos were trying random things and doing just like outlandish things. And especially back when she used to make her YouTube videos, a lot of them were just funny because it was her. Like it wasn't necessarily funny because of what she was talking about or what she was doing, but it was funny because it was her. And this is, circles back to the whole like viral framework. Like Jenna Marbles didn't start every single one of her videos with here's three pain points and how to fix them. She was just herself. And to me, she was somebody who I would show up every single day and watch her content, whether it was six seconds long or whether it was six hours long. Like I loved her for who she was. Another really good example of this, if you're familiar with Victoria Paris, she grew just by posting every single thing about her on her TikTok page and every single thing that she did that day. That was how she grew her community. Now, she didn't have a niche like, oh, I only post this type of video. Her niche is and was herself and people loved her for her. And that I think is more important than having a reliable, consistent type of content that serves one and only niches, if that makes sense. I feel like I might not have worded that right. But so when it comes to being a social media manager, do you need to niche down in the beginning? Long answer, not in the way that you think. Short answer, no. Again, I think just being yourself and being a, a human and how you choose to run your business and how you choose to make content, that's going to be more valuable than deciding what your niche is. And again, I feel like niche is misconstrued with target audience. I think it's more important to identify who you want to work with rather than the type of content they're making. I think that it's more applicable in that sense than to niche down on your content. Again, I would not disagree that if you wanted to build a community or not even build a community, if you wanted to grow a following. So growing a following and building a community are two very different things. And when you niche down, that's when it's easier to grow a following. But when you choose to just be yourself, it's easier to create a community. And at the end of the day, again, that should be most important to you is building that community rather than just growing your following number. And again, I don't say any of this is like, this is how you sell things to people. I'm saying it in a way where it's easier for somebody to build trust with you when you're focusing on a community and really showcasing who you are rather than just growing as fast as possible. Okay, let's move on to this last point that I want to talk about. And then I have a bunch of questions in this um, Instagram questions box that I'm going to pull from and we can do some stuff with that. So... One of the last things that I kind of want to make sure to touch on is how and why starting my business the way that I did, I think was most beneficial to me. And this all has to do with both of the topics that I've already talked a little bit about. So again, I know in the first episode, I talked a little bit about how I like actually started this business. So I was approached by somebody who asked for help with their business Instagram based off of the time and effort I was putting into my personal account, which looking back now is just like funny because I don't log into my personal account. So where I even found the time in the day to make these like crazy elaborate stories is absolutely beyond me. But anyway, 
I was approached. I started working with that person. I slowly over time, you know, grew to helping more people. But I always thought that if I wanted a job full time as a social media manager, I needed to accept a position from a business or brand that was already hiring, which at the time I didn't really put it together. Like you could just go get more clients and build your own because when I started doing this, I did not have a business account for my Instagram. I didn't have a business email. I didn't even have a website. I didn't have a website until like three years into doing my business, which is just like funny to think about. But anyway, I say all of this because the day that I figured it out that I wanted to just bring more clients on and quit my full-time job, I told every single person that I knew, friends, family, like coworkers, if it was appropriate, and it's what I encourage other people to do too, tell people what you're doing. So I was completely booked and had no room to bring any more clients on when I started my business Instagram. So I believe I started my business Instagram in December of 2020, but I had actually taken my business full-time a year before that. So for a full year, I worked strictly like without having a social media presence. When I joined social media as my business, that was when things got a lot more complicated. And looking back, I'm thankful that I spent a lot of time off of social media working on business stuff rather than getting right on social media and like presenting everything. So this is why I wanted to talk about the other things first because especially, especially that interview with the guy who said he's thankful in the beginning that he didn't go viral. I'm thankful for the same exact reason that I am happy that I had time behind the scenes to get all of my shit together, to figure out what services I wanted to offer, to figure out who I wanted to serve so that when I did put myself on social media, I was ready to go. Like I hit the ground running. I didn't have a lot of like figuring out to do once I got on to social media. Now the problem that I had when I got on social media was I was thrown into the world and the social media manager side of, you know, TikTok and Instagram where people are like, buy my course and you'll make $10,000 and happy that that's not what I started with. And that's why I hate so much what this industry has turned into on social media because it is very clickbaity and it is very like, oh, buy my course and you'll make X amount of money. And that was when I decided to invest time into creating the guide because I I was somebody who, and you know, still am, I had experience in this industry and in this field before getting on social media. Like I would never want to say, don't start your Instagram account if you're not 100% ready because truly you're not ever gonna be 100% ready. But take the time before you start like promoting your service. Take the time to really learn your process and learn what you need to do. And the best way that I know how to encourage people to do that is to take on projects and work that you might not be paid accordingly for. And I don't mean to do that forever, but I mean to do that enough to like build a portfolio and to build up results and to show that you know what you're doing. And again, don't say yes to every single thing that comes your way, but be open to learning if you actually like offering your service. For example, I don't offer engagement in any of my packages anymore and I only do it for a very select few people because I don't enjoy that part. I don't enjoy the active engagement part. Not that I don't enjoy it, but it's the most time consuming. So that's why I don't really offer it anymore. Instead, I have come up with a checklist that I send to my clients that I'm working with but not doing their engagement for 
so that that's something they can pick up on that end or I offer to outsource for it from somewhere else. But again, I'm thankful for all of the time in the beginning that I had to figure out like really what service I wanted to offer and who I wanted to offer it to. And I'm very thankful that I didn't put myself on social media like all the way out there right from the beginning. I would encourage people to take the time to get a little bit more familiar with the services, a little bit more familiar with the work and how you have to communicate with your clients rather than just like jumping right on Instagram and being like, okay, my services are open. Like if you don't have your onboarding process down, bring somebody on as a client and ask if you can use their experience to better serve future clients. Like I don't mean to say it in a way that you're like using them as a guinea pig, but like tell them like, hey, I'm implementing this new system and I'm wondering if I could like put you through this onboarding process just to get any feedback that you have or if I could do anything easier on your end for you throughout this process. Because you don't want to get to the point that somebody is like, okay, I'm willing to work with you. How do I pay you? And you're like, oh, well, I don't have an invoicing system set up. Like those are all of the things. And that was why I was so adamant in the guide that the guide is not saying this is what you need to do step by step. The guide is something that like an encyclopedia almost where whatever situation you run into, I tried to include something in the guide for it specifically. So if you don't know how to price your services, like if somebody is like, hey, how much would you charge for X amount of like this project? And you're like, oh, well, I don't know. First of all, there's a fine line with that between saying yes to something that you don't offer, but also like if you truly just like don't know where to start pricing your services, bring somebody on, keep track of how long it takes you to actually perform that service, figure out what you want to start your hourly rate at and multiply the time to the money and tell them that that's, you know, that's how you come up with your package pricing. It's again, don't try to use them as a guinea pig and make them feel like you don't know what you're doing, but be very honest. Hey, I'm trying out a new process. Can you just give me like any feedback that you have? anything like that. So I'm just really thankful that I had all the time in the beginning before being on social media to build that process and to really figure out my backend stuff. Now, something that I'm not so thankful for because I did it that way, because I waited so long to get on social media, I did so many things by myself in the beginning that I, I probably would have benefited having that community. So that's why I'm not saying don't start your account, don't do anything until you're 100% ready to go because again, you're not ever gonna be 100% ready to go. You're, you're gonna be as ready to go as you'll ever be and then you'll figure out the rest from there. So all of this to say, I feel like I keep saying that, is to not pressure yourself. Like I know that I use the phrase just start, like you have to just start somewhere. And I know I'm, I don't ever want it to sound like I'm like contradicting myself that, you know, I'm saying don't go until you're ready, but you're never going to feel 100%. But take the time that you need. Take the time to make things work for you. Take the time to figure out your process. Take on projects that allow you to explore your creativity because again, those are all things that I'm unbelievably thankful for in the beginning of my business that I did. And I'm just glad that I did it without a ton of spectators and without a ton of opinions and stuff because again, going viral <laughs> brings out the worst in people on the comment section. So all of this to say, just please, please, please take the time to get your shit together. Start somewhere. If you need help, reach out to me. My DMs are always open. Like I'm always here to help with whatever I can. Please know that from the bottom of my feet to the top of my head or whatever that Brianna chicken fry audio is or Tana Mongo, whoever it is, I'm not one of those people. Like I truly am not here to just push the guide and I could 
make the guide a thousand dollars, but it's not. It's 99 because I want it to be as accessible to everybody who does not have thousands of dollars because I truly believe that not everybody has equal access to resources, whether that's like money or like situational. Like if you don't have friends or family supporting you in your business, it's going to be really hard. <sighs> the internet is so hard sometimes. So I'm like always like walking this fine line where I feel like I don't ever want my content to be like pessimistic, but I'm also not somebody to encourage any and everybody to do something when I know that that wouldn't be right. Like I have experienced the lowest lows of anxiety and depression throughout the process of building my business. And I know that that's not easy. And I know like I'm, I'm super fucking lucky that I have the support system that I do. Like I have a boyfriend who's very supportive of everything that I do. I have a family and friends. I have friends who are very supportive of what I do. And I just know that the toll that this process and industry takes on somebody's mental health, especially in social media where it, it very much is a lot of people judge you on your success because of how many likes you get and how many comments you get. And that's why I'm glad that I took the time to figure all of it out before I actually got on social media because uh, it's just so not about the numbers and it's not about like your numbers do not define your success and that's like the people who push you know ten thousand dollar month oops I just accidentally hit pause so I don't really know where this is picking up but the people who promote their course and how easy it'll be when somebody doesn't accomplish what they promised in their first month it's it's sad to me it's and it like is so discouraging and that's why I am never trying to be like a pessimistic person surrounding this industry. I, I just vow to be transparent. That's the thing. I'm not pessimistic. I'm transparent and all I can do is share my own journey and all I can do is share my own struggles and think or not that I hope anybody else is dealing with these struggles, but I know other people are and that's what upsets me so much is people feel unsuccessful when they don't accomplish what other people have said they've done in a month. Like I'm telling you right now, somebody who claims they make $10,000 a month between taxes and outsourcing and paying for softwares, it's not like they're putting $10,000 in their bank account. Like that's it. You're not pocketing $10,000. And that's why, again, I vow to be transparent. I'm brutally honest because I do not want somebody to ever be able to come back to me and say, I followed your advice and I'm failing. That you will never find from me. Whew, little mental brain dump there. How's everybody's mental health? Checking in. Again, I don't ever try to mean anything in like a negative or pessimistic way. I, I just want you to know that if you do struggle with something, that that's normal. It's normal to not be fully booked after your first month of starting your business. It's okay to take your time and take a little bit longer than somebody else to get to where you want to be and to figure out what success means to you. But there's a ton of questions in this questions box and I had put the topics of niche going viral and I'm just going to answer some of these questions and yeah, I think that'll wrap us up for today. Okay, so the very first question is how did you decide what your niche is, which I guess I've already kind of explained. Again, it, it really took that call with the trash removal company for me to be like, oh, it has nothing to do with the fact that they just like take trash away. Like it's who they are as a person. And I've, I've always been somebody who's very into energy. My human design chart, I, I don't want to say the wrong thing here, so I'm just going to keep it very vague. The way that my human design chart is, and if you're not familiar with, I have shared some content about it before, definitely on TikTok. The way that my human design chart is, is I, I really do pick up on other people's energy and I can pick up on if somebody has good intentions. And that 
truly is how I decide who I work with. I, I don't have a niche in the sense that I only serve this type of person. And I'm not saying that you're unsuccessful if you do it that way. Just like I said before, I think you're really putting yourself into this like box if you do it that way. The next question is, what do you consider viral? So uh, what I consider viral is, mm, I guess I wouldn't describe it as like a number. I guess it's because it, viral can mean really anything. It can mean a thousand views. It can mean a million views. It can mean a lot of different things. So to me, viral is not defined by a number, but it's defined by the volume of engagement slash views that a post of yours is getting. Like I have a client who we have a series that has total, I think close to like 10 million views and really closely the same number of likes and comments and stuff. Again, not that those numbers like define success, but to me, I would say that that series went viral. The thing is, is viral doesn't always have to mean like everybody in the whole world saw it. Like you can be viral within your own community. You can be viral within a certain side of the internet. It doesn't have to be like Good Morning America viral if that makes sense. So I guess to me, I don't really have a number that defines being viral. It's more so just like what's happening with the piece of content. Like, are we getting a crazy amount of engagement overnight? Like out of nowhere, Have is it all brand new people who have never seen our content before? That to me defines viral. Okay, so the next question is technically about social media strategy, which I'll dive into, but I also do want to save this topic as a whole for a different episode that I, I already have a guest lined up for because she's just like such a badass at social media strategy. And that is Kaylee at her handle is Sonder Social Media. She also has a really, really kick-ass freebie about strategy. And truly, I think that she breaks it down in a better way than I have and probably could ever do. But again, this question is primarily based about social media strategy, so I'm going to answer it, but try to save a lot of like the juicy details for that conversation with Kaylee on an episode. So the question is, how do you start slash define your social media strategy? So to me, in a very simple way and something that I'm really trying to implement in my business is how simple things can be. Like I think that people overcomplicate things, especially with like a lot of the lingo that's used in this industry. So strategy to me is just a very fancy word for plan. And like I said, I'm not really going to break it down because there is so, so much that goes into it and we'll get into it on a later episode. But the question of how do you start a strategy? So to me, one of the very first things that I do with strategy is I sift through the content that the brand and business already has if they do already have content. And I look at what works. I look at what doesn't. I look at what is a good representation of their brand and business and their mission and values and what is not a good representation of that. Some like physical steps that I take is I go look through um, their past like year of posts and look at the ones that had the most engagement, the ones that were saved the most, the ones that were shared the most and kind of build from there. Also really help them identify who they want to appeal to. And again, I consider this finding your niche 
audience, not necessarily your niche as a social media manager. From there, it's all about figuring out what type of content you enjoy creating that at the same time will deliver the message that you wanna deliver. And then it comes down to the actionable steps that you are going to take to put this strategy into place. What are you gonna post? When are you gonna post? Like, what does it need to say? What you know phase of your business are you in? Are you in a point where you're just trying to grow? Are you in a point where you're trying to sell? Are you in a point where you're just trying to like take care of your audience, those to me are like the three phases essentially. So based on where you are in your business and what you want to accomplish, that kind of helps us with the strategy and just kind of like which direction to start. Okay, so I'm reading through a lot of these questions and honestly already answered a ton of them like in this actual episode. So I'm gonna move on to some of the questions that aren't necessarily related to what the topics were today. Okay, so this is like a burning question. (laughs) There's like three of them in here. So again, I want this to be its own topic for an episode, but how do you increase your engagement slash what is your engagement routine? Okay, so the number one thing that I think people forget is in order to get people to engage with you, you should engage first. I saw an example of this recently is that wouldn't just like walk into a party and stand there and not say anything and expect people to come flooding to you to like talk to you, right? Usually when you walk into the party, you're like, hey, how is everyone? You like introduce yourself to anybody you don't know. And that's how I feel with social media. I think a lot of people just expect other people to do the engagement for them, not in a way where like somebody else is in there doing the engagement for you, but in the way that a lot of people I think wait for other people to come to them first. And it's actually kind of funny. This is the same piece of advice that I give people about finding clients because a lot of people will say, oh, your perfect client will find you. Your ideal client will come to you, but there's nothing stopping you from doing it first, you know? And I feel like a lot of people forget that a lot of engagement comes from when you put it out there first. Like it has to start somewhere. Also, I need to just acknowledge that when I started recording this episode, it was bright out and it's now pitch black. I have not gotten up to turn any lights on. So I'm literally just sitting in a dark room with just my computer screen on. Like I look like the definition of a hermit right now. Okay. So another question, this is primarily about keywords. So it's kind of worded weird, but essentially what it's asking is, How and why do you include keywords slash what exactly are keywords? So recently, I believe it was last year, it might have been 2020, Instagram essentially changed the way that its search feature works. So it used to only pull from your bio and your name section, and now it's able to pull content from other places. So like your captions or like what's actually written in your bio rather than just like your name section. So it's really important to use as many keywords. I also like to call them anchor words. So anchor words when I'm doing like a branding project with somebody are words that will always describe either you, your brand, your content, what you sell, your product or your service. So to me, some keywords or anchor words would be social media management or video editing or content creation or tips, like stuff like that. And it's important to use those keywords in your content as much as possible because they're searchable. So essentially think of your keywords as like what you would search in Google in order to find yourself or to find your business um, or your service. Okay, so next question is, I'm struggling to figure out how to provide value to my audience. So this is another one of those things that I feel like is just so widely said. So many people are like, oh, you have to provide value, like make sure your content is valuable, but like, 
What does that mean to people? Before I can continue <laughs> answering this question, I need to apologize if you can hear my dog crunching his food behind me. He has separation issues and can only eat his dinner if he's within like a 12 inch radius of me. So sorry about that if you can hear it. But anyway, providing value. So this can look a lot of different ways. It doesn't always have to be value in the way that you're giving somebody something to use. Like it doesn't always have to be a valuable tip or a valuable like piece of knowledge. Value is anything to me brings somebody joy. So like even if you're posting something like motivational, to me that's valuable. Sharing your unique story, struggles, or journey is also going to provide value. And then I think the most generic way of saying providing value is share tips, share processes, share anything, especially as a social media manager. The most value that I feel like I can give to my community is either support or sharing like the most frequently asked questions. Get on your story, put a question box up, put what do you want to know more about? And I actually, it's a touchy line. It's a fine line with that too, because not that I don't think you should take your audience's wants into consideration, but if your audience is like, hey, we want content about this and it's so out of your realm and not anything that you want to create content out of, you don't have to give in just to provide value. Like if you're direct people somewhere else, like if somebody's like, oh, I would love to have, you know, a video about how to create a YouTube intro, but you're not a YouTube video person, just be like, hey, this person has better tips on this than I do. So even sometimes the providing value thing can be sharing other profiles, like sharing anything that you find useful. So I hope that makes sense. Okay, so this question is really throwing it back. So a while ago, actually, like I can't even believe they're referring to this post. I had posted something saying that like don't, like you can't just use Pinterest photos. And I want to talk about that a little bit, just like copyright in general. So not copyright like words, but copyright like people own certain things. So Pinterest is not the same as like a stock photo website. So a stock photo is something that is royalty free. You can essentially use it however you want. You can use it for personal use. You can use it for your business, but you have to make sure that it's coming from like a certified copyright free slash stock photo place. So like Pinterest primarily is photos that other people have uploaded to their website or to their social media and then they're linking back to it. So like if somebody has taken this like aesthetic picture of their outfit and then you take that picture and post it on your feed, you could get in trouble for that. A lot of people use Pinterest as filler photos and obviously Pinterest is going to have way better pictures than like free stock photo websites because a lot of people who are making the good content don't want it to be for free. So I don't ever recommend using pictures for anything that you find off of Pinterest, but some other really, really good stock photo websites. My favorites are Pixabay, Unsplash, and Pexels. And then I'm looking at my like bookmark tab. So if you need food stock photos, um, there's a website called Foodies Feed. There's one called Negative Space that also has a really good lineup of photos. Ivory Mix is also a really good one. So there's a lot of also like membership slash subscription services that you can choose access to certain ones. So instead of having to buy the rights to the photo altogether, you can just sign up for their membership and use the photos like as long as you have an active membership, if that makes sense. So Ivory Mix is like that. And then also another one is Style Stock. I really like that one. There's another one called Stock Snap. 
So those are all some of my favorite, but I definitely use Pixabay and Unsplash. And then also if you use Canva and have the like pro version, there's a lot of really good stock photos right in Canva's library. So this next question is also something that I do want to save for like its own episode because I believe that it could take up like hours of talking about this, but your content pillars are not education, entertain, inspire, and motivate or whatever everybody says they are, education, entertainment, inspiration, and personal or whatever. Anyway, education, entertainment are not your content pillars. Your content pillars are the topics or categories of content types that you use in your business to create and organize your content. So they pretty much provide like the foundation for your overall content strategy. They usually are things that are important to your brand and your brand's mission and your target audience and relevant to what you offer. So like for me as a social media manager, my content pillars last time I like laid them out are social media management, organization, like business organization, and really just being transparent and being honest and having integrity in the content that I create. Those are really my content pillars. Now, the way that you deliver this type of content is where that education, entertainment, inspiration comes into play. So let's say again, social media management is my content pillar. So that's all the way at the top, right? Now, underneath social media management is also going to be this specific pieces of content that I make. So I can deliver, the way that you deliver is where this education entertainment lineup comes from. So social media management, 99% of my content is about that. Now, the way that I deliver content about that falls under the education, entertainment, inspiration, blah, blah, blah. So an educational piece of social media content would be like, here's content prompts or anything that teaches somebody about that content pillar entertainment would be like a funny trending sound or a reel but directly relates to social media management inspiration would be a motivational quote or showing a before and after of this is what i did to fix this and you can too stuff like that so again the way that you deliver your content is where that education entertainment and so on comes into play So if you are struggling to come up with what your content pillars are, there's a couple questions that I want you to ask yourself. So what makes you unique? Like what about you is different from everybody else? So for me, that's like how transparent I am in my content because not a lot of other people are. Not only what makes you interesting, but what are you an expert in? What could you talk about? And that's and something that you could talk about forever that you're confident in. And that's, again, like how I explain to people. I'm like, if you're, if I asked your friend group, like, what is something that this person talks about nonstop and is so obsessed with and is so good at? What is that one thing? And that would be one of your content pillars. So like think of something that you genuinely love, something that you could talk about for a long time, something that you do talk about all the time. Start there. Okay, so this one is good considering everything that we talked about today. So what would you do differently if you were starting from scratch? So the number one thing that I would do differently is, again, test out different types of content to see what you enjoy making. Like it took me making a whole ass YouTube channel and committing to it for like seven weeks. I think I did a video every single week for me to realize that that's not exactly where I want to be, at least 
for this type of content because I, again, I would rather be able to feel like I can sit down and have like a completely unfiltered conversation rather than, I say conversation as I've been sitting here talking to literally myself in a dark room, still haven't turned the light on, but like I, it's not that I didn't love doing YouTube. It's just, that's not the type of content I wanted to consistently create. Like it's a little bit more structured. It's a little bit more formal with a podcast. I can be a little bit more like, I don't know, kind of say or do whatever I want. But if I were to start over, I would take a little bit more time to do what I liked instead of what I thought I had to do. This is kind of the same question, but it's where should I start for a business that's brand new to Instagram is essentially what this question is saying. So regardless of where you start with the content and your content strategy and all that, I recently added in a service that is an Instagram audit that has about 10 different pain points that I touch on. So I'll just kind of like go down that list and say all of them because these are the things that I would start with. So the first thing is having a really good profile picture. If it's you yourself running your business, I always recommend to do it as a picture of you that's branded. And when I say branded, I mean like either from a photo shoot that matches your brand aesthetic or like just even the colors of your brand. Like truly, I think that's important. If you're more of a brand slash business that isn't necessarily communicating one-on-one face-to-face with the people. So like if you just sell like a product, I would recommend to have like your logo or something distinguishing of your brand as your profile photo. Um, But I think that personal pictures always do really well. I would also focus on really figuring out what your bio should be. So kind of ask yourself these questions. What is your business? Like why should somebody be interested in it? Who do you help? What's unique about you? What makes you stand out? I try to also always include call to actions in your bio, but not in the typical like follow me for more, but more in the way of let people know what they're going to get by either clicking on the link in your bio or by following you, something along those ways. So like my bio right now, the very last line above my link in my bio says, you know, this is where you go to find the guide to connect and see like the services that I offer. So some sort of call to action. This is what you get, not necessarily saying, hey, you should follow me. The next thing I would work on would be that first introductory post saying who you are, give them some background on your business, how you're going to help solve a problem or what you're going to do to benefit somebody and just explain a little bit more about your business. So I would start again with like that introduction. I would set an intentional schedule for both posting content and engaging with your audience. And then, yeah, I mean, from there, just make sure you're constantly in there and like making connections and growing your brand, get consistent with posting content. And I always say consistent is whatever it means to you. If you can consistently post once a week, cool. If you can consistently post twice a week, amazing. You don't have to post seven days a week. You just need to consistently be in there creating and promoting and showcasing and getting to know people. Okay, so this, I actually don't think I've ever answered this next question. So this is about TikTok specifically, the creator fund. So if you're not familiar with what the creator fund is, TikTok has these requirements, I believe. It's, you have to have 10,000 followers and I think like 100,000 likes in the last week or something. Once you complete those milestones, you are offered a spot in the TikTok creator fund slash creator program. So what this is, is TikTok pays you based on how many views you get on your... So this question was really asking like what my opinion is on the creator fund. So, and it's about TikTok specifically. I don't want to talk too much about the Instagram creator funds because 
I feel like there's a lot of changes happening to them right now. And I also feel like not everybody has access to them. Like there is no requirements that we know about that like you have to have these things in order to be accepted. Like I know people who have a thousand followers who got accepted in. I know people who have a million followers. Okay, that's dramatic. I know people who have like 10,000 followers who have not been accepted in. And both accounts utilize the features that they say you have to utilize on Instagram in order to be offered a spot in their creator fund. So anyway, we're going to stick just to TikTok and why why I don't love the creator fund on TikTok. So one of the biggest complaints about the creator fund on TikTok is that once people join, their views start plummeting. A lot of things that people say on TikTok, like, oh, you're shadow banned or all this stuff, like I don't agree with, but I do agree with the fact that TikTok intentionally, and I don't know if I want to say intentionally because that makes it sound like I'm saying they do this on purpose, which I don't think it's that they do it on purpose, but when you are accepted into the creator fund, you now are competing with other people who are in the creator fund. And if your content's good, like that's not a problem, but because TikTok has now promised to pay you based on views, you probably aren't going to be pushed out to the same amount of people that you used to. It's also a very like minimal pay. I'm pretty sure it's less than a dollar for a hundred thousand views, like all together, which is just, I'm probably not right with those numbers. I know it's literally pennies that people get for being in the creator fund. So the best, again, I'm not a fan of it. I probably, if I were to ever be offered a spot in the TikTok creator fund, I would probably say no, just because I believe that there are better ways to monetize your platform and to monetize your social. So like a social media manager on TikTok who gets invited to join the creator fund, because it's going to really how many views you're getting, therefore you're not going to get paid, you're better off monetizing in a way with a $10 digital product. And that's not me saying like you have to have something to make money off of your community, but like truly, like if you, you would probably benefit more from putting the time into something that's like evergreen that you can sell directly on your website or like a service that you can offer rather than trying to monetize directly through the TikTok creator fund. I'm a big fan of monetizing off of the platforms. So offering something that doesn't require TikTok or Instagram in order to monetize. Obviously, you can use those platforms to like draw like attention to these things that you want to use to monetize your platform, but you don't have to rely on TikTok to pay you. Obviously, there's a lot that comes with that. Like the TikTok creator fund, literally, I think all you have to do is like log into your bank account and then it's like deposited there. Obviously, with a digital product, it's a little bit more in depth, but like I said, it's more evergreen, meaning that it's it's easier for that to always be consistent. It's easier for that to be something you can rely on rather than waiting for the TikTok creator fund to pay you. Okay, so alt text is the kind of like focus of this next question, very similar to keywords, but so it essentially is saying as alt text as important as everybody says it is. So here's the thing. I am weird about alt text. I usually add it in just because it's like super simple to do. So if you don't know what alt text is, when you're posting, well, not even just in Instagram, alt text in general is for a multitude of different purposes. So like if you've ever been to a website and like the pictures don't load, but you see like words in place, like where the picture should be. So like if there's a picture of a girl in the red dress and that picture isn't loading, but it says girl in red dress, 
that's alt text. So like that's text that somebody has put in to describe the image for multiple different reasons. So one of them, the most important purpose of alt text is for those who are visually impaired. So whether somebody like is totally blind or just doesn't have the best vision, phones have like accessibility settings that will read you the alt text. So if somebody again is blind and they are scrolling Instagram, if somebody has alt text in their image, they'll be able to hear it say what's in that image. So really it just truly is for those who have like a vision like disability or like are visually impaired. But a lot of people think that alt text is primarily serving the purpose of back end search engine stuff, which is true. But to me, alt text is important for those who genuinely need it. It's not, it's the same thing as like closed captioning on TikTok, like how everybody's like, oh, put captions with your videos. It's important, but it's not, I don't look at it in a way that's like, oh, this is going to trick, you know, people into finding our content by searching it. Like, no, I look at it as a way that like, Somebody genuinely needs that. Somebody needs that in order to use this platform. So yes, to me, it's important. I try to include it in every post, but probably not for the same important reason that a lot of other people would say. I'm gonna combine these next two questions. So the first question is, what is one social media platform that you could not live without? And the other question is, do you automate any posts for Instagram for yourself or for your clients. So again, I'm going to combine these two because the one platform, if I had nothing else, I would want to have a scheduling platform. Obviously, there's ways around this and I even have a a free Google Sheets content calendar that people can download for free because I wanted to you know, offer something like that because a lot of scheduling platforms take, it costs money to have that. And I wanted to, again, my goal is to make things as accessible for people as possible without having to spend a shit ton of money. So one of the things that if I could not give up, it would be specifically Planoly just because that's what I use. But then again, kind of feeding into this next question of do you automate anything? So Backend wise of my business, I automate everything. Like if somebody books, you know, a discovery call with me, they automatically get an email with a Zoom link. They automatically get a follow up two days later, like asking for like certain things. Like automations are my best fucking friend. However, I don't really auto post any of my clients' content. I manually post most of it. The reason for this is that Planoly specifically, and I know a lot of others. So. Actually, let me start by saying Facebook Business Suite does automate stories and carousel posts, but there is no other scheduling platform that will automatically post carousels or reels. And because of the times that we're working with here and how important video is, 99% of the time when I'm posting something to my client's account, it's either a reel or a carousel, which both of those are tough to automate. And then with stories, I like to include like stickers, like link stickers or like question boxes, and you can't add those when you're automating it. I also, for the clients that I do engagement for, which again, are it's not a lot of people that I do engagement for, but they, when I do their engagement, I also post at the same time. So the reason I don't automate anything is because it also kind of keeps me on that schedule. So I block out like an hour from the beginning of my day, sit down, do all of the posts that have to go up. I will say, and it's kind of relevant, kind of not because I don't offer Facebook services, but I do have a couple clients that we put our Instagram content up on Facebook just because it's like already ready and done and why not? So within Facebook Creator Studio, I'll schedule posts 
that only go to Facebook. But when it comes to like Instagram or like even TikTok, like I know you can like upload TikToks on your desktop and schedule them to post later. I still, I I don't even like doing that because I like to make sure that I have everybody tagged. I like to make sure like, especially with TikToks and Reels that like the sounds are uploaded correctly and just, yeah. So I don't really use any sort of like posting automation. And actually now that I'm looking, this next question says, what is your preferred platform? So I, I use Planoly, but one of my clients was already set up in later when I took them on slash like started working with them and I didn't want to have to transfer all of their stuff over. So I was like, I'll just use later for them. And honestly, the more that I use it, the more I like it. I think I like Planoly better because you can move things off of the grid. Like you can move things into drafts and like on later at least as far as I know, and I honestly like don't play around in it too much, but like on later, you have to see like all of the content that you've uploaded and then you can move it into the calendar view if that makes sense. Again, I don't know. It's I like later. It's just Planoly is what I've known for like four years and seeing all the changes that they've made to Planoly over that time is insane. So this question I don't think I've ever actually answered and it's mostly because it's hard to answer. So somebody asked how much do I work? Like how many hours a week do I work? And here's the thing. This question is so hard for me to answer because so much of what I do, I don't really consider work. Like if I'm enjoying what I'm doing, it's hard. Like last night, for example, I spent almost two hours updating just my new services, like not even adding them to my website, not setting up the workflows or anything, literally just listing them out and writing down everything I need to do for them. So to me, that's working. Like to me, that was me working on my business. However, that's not necessarily like client work, I guess. So and like I truly feel I'm working 24 seven because I really am like thinking about my business all the time. And I am not one of those people that's like, oh, I only work 20 hours a week and I make $10,000 a month. Like I work a lot and I'm one of those people that I literally cannot sit still. It's a blessing and a curse, but I like, even if it's like 10 o'clock at night, I'm not tired yet. I have nothing else to do. I'm just like watching Netflix. I'll open my computer and do something productive. So altogether, realistically, the amount of time that I spend sitting on my computer working is like probably between 50 to 60 hours a week but again that's including like creating my own content filming my own content editing my podcast like but again it's stuff that I don't really consider work I guess so tough to answer client work itself is like right around 30 hours a week usually a little bit more but like I but all of the hours that are dedicated I have 30 hours a week dedicated to my clients pretty much some of them get five hours a week some of them get 10 hours a week oh my gosh my dog hold on like I said we are unfiltered on this podcast we're just chilling it's me and you in my office listening to my dog squeak a toy so this is something that I've never really this next question I've never really talked about this I don't think I've ever really addressed this somebody asked about blog posts which I don't again think I've ever really answered or like thought too much into because I don't do them but this person is specifically asking if I think they're beneficial and the thing with blog posts is is I personally am not a blog post reader so that's what's so hard for me to answer this question because in general yes blog posts are very beneficial they really help your seo they help your google searches it helps to kind of like establish your like relevance and expertise in your industry 
So like, while I think they're super beneficial and they're really going to help your SEO, I just personally wouldn't spend the time on them. Like to me, I would rather create a YouTube video that will get a better visualization across or like film podcast. Blogs have just never been my choice of content to create. So it's hard for me to say I don't like them. I'm just not a blog reader. So it's hard for me to want to create that type of content. However, I do think that they are extremely beneficial. I think that there is a lot that you can do with them. Also, if you enjoy writing, it doesn't hurt. And I captions and like copywriting are something that I love to do. It just takes me so long. Like it's not that I don't like doing them. I just don't have a lot of like I don't do it fast. So it's hard for me to do it. But my dog will not stop chewing this squeaky toy. So I think this is my sign to cut it off here. Let's connect Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, literally wherever you spend most of your time. You can probably find me there. Other than that, I'll be back with the next episode very, very soon. Hopefully this next one will finally have a guest. So you don't have to just listen to me talk to myself and about myself. But seriously, thank you from the bottom of my heart for being here and listening to this. And I will talk to you soon. Bye. Hey, it's me again, your host, Lex. I would love if you came over to Instagram and hung out with us at the Social Media Survival Guide. You can also find my personal slash business account at Page Media Coach. Make sure we're staying connected in your favorite places. If you or anybody that you know is interested in being a guest on here, please DM me. Again, the quickest way to reach me is going to be at Page Media Co. But make sure you follow at the Social Media Survival Guide just to stay up to date with everything that's going on on the podcast. Thank you so much for your time and for being here. And I will see you in the next episode. Bye.